at me. Wow, that was. And the Indonesian word for that is samangat. You guys were into that. You know. <laughs> good morning, Danny. That's great. Uh, it's so good to be here. I know we were here a couple months ago, uh, but this is obviously a slightly different crowd. It fills out more uh, during the fall, and it's so good to be here. Um, it's fun to see familiar faces. I remember. Um, when this church was an idea, a dream in the mind of a few people, you know, Jim and Bonnie and the various and assorted Sarahs that were kicking around at the time. And, uh, and so it's fun to see what it's become. Um, I'm so thankful uh, for those of you uh, who have joined up with this and have caught this vision in this community. Uh, it's fun to be here. Baptisms, fun things to see. Although I will say, uh, my son was a little thrown off a few minutes ago. So all the kids are over there and Brian's talking about baptism and he says, actually, you know, it's a trough for animals. And my son looks over at my wife and says, they baptize animals? <laughs> so I encourage you to stick around for the end of the service. It could be fun. Uh, my little four-year-old theologian figured it out. Uh, so um, change is possible, right? That's the name of the series. Did I, did I get that right? Change is possible. Oh, there you go. A little butterfly. Um, I should have told you my idea. I told them I was just going to not do a sermon and just fly around like a butterfly for 25 minutes. And so um, just picture that for a moment. This is, okay. Uh, change is possible. Um, you can go ahead and start. You can turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's kind of where we're, we're going to camp out today. Um, I really like this theme. Uh, I think... The idea of change or transformation is an important one in the lives of believers. Uh, but I, I think it can be easily misunderstood as uh, behavior modification, right? Uh, in other words, I need to change my life, so I'm just going to act differently, do different things. Now, I suppose that's good insofar as it goes. Uh, doing bad things is, is not as good as doing good things, right? And so you can change your behavior to a certain degree. But biblically speaking, that's not what God means when he talks about transformation. He isn't just talking about we change our behavior, our actions. Uh, I heard someone, I, I don't know where I grabbed this from. I didn't make it up. But um, the, the summary of New Testament ethical teaching, right? So how we're supposed to live as believers in Jesus. Uh, the, the summary statement was become who you are. Uh, and I think that encapsulates it really well. Become who you are. Who has God made you to be? He's already made you that, and now we act like it. <laughs> we, we grow into our status. Uh, and so I want that, that concept, that phrase, to stick in our mind as we're, as we're looking at these two verses. And these are only two verses, but they are packed. I had to cut stuff out and like, okay, we're just not going to deal with that. Um, I love passages like that. Right? And so, but keep that in mind. Become who you are. Uh, and so as we look at this, I'm going to just go ahead and read. Uh, like I said, it was Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. It's hard to read when it's dark up here. Uh, I urge you, brother and sister, uh, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, so <laughs> there's this old, really cheesy preacher joke. All right. Uh, you've probably heard this one about, you know, they always say, okay, the word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you ask what's the therefore, therefore, 
And everyone gives a courtesy laugh, right? Can we do that real quick? I just want to take part in this time-honored church tradition. You may not have heard that. God bless you if you haven't. I just initiated you into this. So I'm going to tell the joke, and you're going to give a courtesy laugh. Can we do that? Cool. Okay. So we see the word therefore. And when every time we see the word therefore, you've got to ask, what's the therefore therefore? <laughs> awesome. Uh, now, <laughs> it is a cheesy joke. But it actually does make a good point, right? Uh, this, these verses are actually building on everything Paul has said. So Paul is the guy who wrote this letter almost 2,000 years ago. Everything he has said in the previous 11 chapters. Right? So I thought about we could just take an hour and just walk through chapters 1 through 11 and get everything that he said. And, we could all, and it's okay because the Patriots don't play until 4, so we're not in a rush. Um, that's pretty much how I designed my life around the Patriots schedule, if I'm honest. So, uh, but seriously, looking back to the previous chapters, and it's interesting how Paul summarizes 11 chapters worth of dense theology, as it says here, God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. So I just want to take a second to step back into this book and, and show how it leads us up to this point. And you'll notice some connections, right? So look at, your, look at these verses I'm talking about this. If you go back to the, chapter 1, uh, and Paul talks about how humankind... Right? How we reject God. All people reject God. And we give ourselves over to depravity. We degrade our bodies. You'll notice that connection with the bodies. Uh, we have a depraved mind right, that turns from God and worships the creature rather than the creator. But not only that, even the religious folks in chapter 2 and goes into chapter 3, those who know God's will still can't do it. And they reject God as well. They don't think they do, but they do. And so Paul summarizes it with, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. And then chapter 3, verse 21, he says, but now. Right? Two of the most powerful words in all of scripture, but now. But now God has revealed his righteousness in Jesus Christ. And he talks about how we can be accepted by God, by our faith in Jesus. Despite the fact that we all naturally, innately reject him. Okay? That's God's mercy. In chapter 4, verse 5, there's this little phrase, the God who justifies the ungodly. Right, takes the ungodly and he calls them righteous. Wow, that was quick. Good job, John. Uh, he takes the ungodly and he calls them righteous. Chapter 5, verse uh, 6 through 8. I'm saying that so John can get those up. We did not work on this before. So, um, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. This is the key. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. Do you see why Paul summarizes it as God's mercy? Undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God. So in light of, and this is just a couple verses. We could keep going, but for the sake of time, uh, So in light of this, in light of God's mercy, the God who adopts his enemies, calls them sons and daughters, what do we do, right? How do we live? The question, now what? Uh, And so he gives us a couple things here in in these verses. Um, He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, so that's one. The second one, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll see here that we have an external and internal transformation, right? That, that we're, we're these whole beings. We can't just separate 
and uh, you know the body from the heart and the soul. It's all it's all work, all kind of intermingled. Um, but let's deal with this: to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I noticed the, I pointed out the connection to in Romans one, where we give our bodies over to uh, to sin, to wickedness. Um, the, the, the truth is, is controlling your body is important, right? We think about this as parents. We have uh, a few months ago, my wife started laughing. A few months ago, uh, I don't even know where we were. But I think our son Luke, he's four, uh, was in a Sunday school class or something like that. Okay. And he was in, a, he was in this class, and, and the teacher was talking about family rules. What are your family rules? We don't talk officially of having official family rules. Maybe we should. Does anybody, anybody have family rules for their house? Uh, maybe we should, uh, but we don't have anything like that. And so our son comes back and he says, mom, do we have family rules? Uh, uh Oh, um, we're horrible parents. Um, and so, you know, Lisa says, well, uh, oh, what do you think? What are some of our rules? And the first one that came out of his mind was control your body. (laughs) Uh, So any parents in here with energetic young kids, you understand control your body is an absolutely essential part of holy living, right? Can we agree on that? Um, And so our son has had to learn this. Um, Obviously, as adults, it looks differently, right? It looks different. But uh, if you want proof uh, that our bodies are used for immorality, you just turn on the news, right? Or you just go on your Facebook feed, if you're into Facebook, or whatever. Or you can just read Romans 1, right? It is human nature, we use our bodies for sinful things. Uh, and so uh, in, in, in Romans 6, he says that, you know, don't offer any part of yourself, any part of your body as an instrument of wickedness, but give it to God. And so uh, and, and in this phrase, too, he uses living sacrifice. It's a bit of an oxymoron, right? Sacrifices, by definition, are not living, at least not for very long, right? Uh, and so, uh, but he used this, uh, this phrase, living sacrifice, and I like this because I think what he's trying to do is stress this is not a one-time event. Right? You don't just offer yourself to God one time when you were eight years old by walking down the aisle of your church or whatever it might have looked like. But our entire lives, right? the, the entirety of who we are is an offering to God. Every day, every week, every month. You understand? This is the, and he calls this the, your true and proper worship. This is the only fitting response to a God who shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. Is to offer ourselves completely to him. Amen? It's the only appropriate response. And so I, I like this. Again, I'm not sure. I stole this from somebody. I can't cite my source. I'm sorry. Uh, about worship. See, worship is a, uh, is oftentimes we just think of singing, Right? And we had a great time of worship today. But biblically speaking, worship is much broader than that. Again, I think this verse tells us that. It's, it's the entirety of our life. Um, and I like to think about worship this way. Work, worship is a cycle of revelation and response. God reveals who he is, reveals his character, reveals his heart, and we respond. That's worship. That's what we're getting in this verse, right? God reveals his mercy to us. And we respond by giving ourselves to him. Does that make sense? Um, I, and that's why I think he calls it, this is your, your true, this is the proper act of worship, is to give yourself fully to him. 
Uh, but we don't want to separate that from what comes next, right? Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That phrase, the pattern of this world, is literally the pattern of this age. If we had more time, we could get into this. But uh, the Bible basically teaches that there are two ages, so to speak. There's the old, which is full of sin and evil, death, injustice, wickedness. And there's the age to come, where there's righteousness, right, and holiness and justice in Christ. Now, uh, the, the difficulty here is that we belong to the age to come, right? We belong to the age to come. Now, we're living in this age, which is what makes it hard, but we belong to the age to come. And, and this, is again, is this theme over and over and over again through Romans. And go back, and I, I, in the NIV at least, there are three times where Paul uses that but now turning point. But now. There's one in chapter 3, chapter 6, and chapter 7. right? Where we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to God. We're owned by him, and he's bringing us to eternal life. We were once weak and powerless to overcome our sin. But now we belong to the Spirit who empowers us to live righteously and holy. Right? So we belong to the age to come. So, and let me, I'll try to give you an example, uh, an illustration from a movie. Um, I like prison movies. Do you guys like prison movies? It's kind of weird, right? Can we agree that's weird? Uh, especially for someone to admit when he's preaching that we like prison movies. Uh, I like because it reveals a lot about humanity, about the human psyche. And so there's one movie in particular I was thinking of where um, there's an elderly prisoner who'd spent pretty much his entire adult life in jail. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many it was in this, in this movie. It was 60-something years or whatever. When he was a young man, he had gone to jail and had been there for 60-plus years. So now he's elderly. And he gets paroled. Right? So he leaves jail. And he's completely thrown off. The, the entire world has changed. I mean, think in 60 years how much the world changes. And so he comes out of jail 60 years later after, when he, from when he was a young man, and, and he can't figure out how to live. Uh, you know, he, he, he is now free in terms of his official status. He's a free man. But he's still thinking like a prisoner. So and he talks about in jail, you can't even go to the bathroom without getting permission. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to go to work a job, right? He has no idea how to live. He was in a, if I can use Paul's language here, he lived now in a new age. But he still thought like the old age. Do you understand? In his mind, he was still a prisoner. And I think this is actually a very accurate representation of what prisoners go through, right? I've, I've read enough studies to know that, and I'm not an expert, but when they come out of jail, if they've been in there for a long time, really struggle. They can't cope with the fact that they are now free and they don't know what to do. And this is why I think this verse tells us that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The fact is, is a lot of us in this room still think like we belong to the old age, the age of sin, death. And it's hard. We're surrounded by it. Am I right? We're surrounded by it. But that's not who we are. And this is why we need this process. And I stress that word process. We need the process of having God renew our mind. That's how he transforms us. Okay. Uh, to give an example from my, my own life. Uh, some of you know my story. Those of you I've known for a while. Um, but about 10 years ago, uh, the Lord in his grace uh, pulled me out of a long period of depression. 
Uh, I felt weighed down by my own sin and my own failure. Uh, I, I could just recount all the things I've done, not necessarily horribly wicked things. It could just be my own stupidity or things that I felt like I, you know, I never learned. I was a decent baseball player, but I never really learned how to hit a curveball. See, I'm a failure, right? And anybody in here who's ever uh, struggled with depression, I think you understand what I'm talking about. And one of the things, and this is obviously a long story about how I got out of it, but one of the things uh, was I would just spend time in the Word trying to understand You know, what's going on with me? Why am I so messed up? (laughs) And uh, I remember uh, just numerous passages in the Bible. One in particular, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, where Peter writes, His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And it hit me one day that this verse is true. Now, obviously, I believed it's true. Uh, I'm a good evangelical Christian. I believe in inerrancy. Therefore, everything that's in the Bible is true. Um, that's great. But you and I both know that it's not quite enough, right? I've even, I even took a class on Second Peter and Jude, had to translate it over here at Gordon-Conwell. Uh, so I could exegete the verse really well, and it, but it didn't really hit me until it was at a really low point that that verse is actually true, that holiness is possible. Do you have any idea how freeing that was? I had been stuck in this place of, I will never change. And God shows me in his word, actually, you can. Now, uh, and so that began this process of renewing my mind. Okay, where I would spend hours and hours and hours in the word. And I would realize that God had already made me a free man. I was thinking like a prisoner, but he had already made me a free man. And what God was saying to me was, Danny, become who you are. You're free. Now I'm going to show you how to live like it. But it took an entire renewal, entire change of my mind. I had to think entirely differently about myself, about God, about everything around me. And it was a long process. I wish I could say it was overnight. Uh, I think we all have that, had that feeling, oh, just like the flip the switch, right? And I'll be, you know, this sin will be gone and this struggle will be gone. It, it didn't happen that way. It was a process. Um, and so uh, this is, I want to stress something or give you an illustration. Um, anybody in here water ski? Any water skiers? Okay. Uh, this is not an, uh, an illustration given from expert experience. I'm a horrible water skier. Absolutely atrocious. And I will never do it again, if I'm honest. <laughs> but the illustration still stands, all right? Uh, and like all illustrations, it's, it's imperfect. Um, so if you're water skiing, who's doing most of the work, you or the boat? The boat, right? Now, if you don't believe me, try this sometime. Go out into a lake, jump out of the boat, strap some skis on, and try to stand on the water. How are you going to do? Not so hot, right? Try to skim along the top of the water at whatever, 30, 40 miles per hour. Can you do it? Can you do little little tricks without the boat? Can you be like Fonzie jumping over the shark? In case you're wondering where that phrase came from. I watch it on reruns. I'm not that old. Um, Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Okay. You know who Fonzie is? Okay. Um, Right? In water skiing, the boat does most of the work. Right? That's where the power is coming from. And in the same way, in this process of transformation, where our minds are renewed, 
And we began to see things through the lens of God's mercy, as it says in these verses. That is the power of God. You and I simply cannot do that on our own. You might be able to modify some of your behavior, but your mind, the way you think, the way you process, your worldview, your consciousness, simply cannot be renewed apart from God actually doing the work. Amen? Now, I I should say, in keeping with the illustration, you do have to do something, right? You have to cooperate with the boat. Okay? Uh, you got to hold on to the line. If you let go, you're not going very far. If you're going fast enough, you might get a little skidding. But that's about it, right? Uh, And so you can't just lay in the middle of the lake and watch the boat go around in circles and hope that at some point you will pick up and go, right? You have to cooperate with the boat. And in the same way, you and I have to cooperate with God, right? But we simply are not the ones doing the transforming work. So what is this change we're talking about? This change is this process of transformation that God does in us as we give ourselves completely to him. You understand? It's this process, this transformation that God does in us as we give ourselves completely to him. That's the only way change is possible. So he has made us his children. He has made us righteous and holy in Christ. So whether or not you feel like that's true, it is true. So that if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in him and placed your faith in him and identify yourself with him, when God looks at you, he sees what Christ has done on your behalf. That's the basis of our acceptance with him. And then, not only that, so he sees us as holy and righteous and good and wonderful and lovely and all these things. And then he actually makes us become that. This is pure grace. This is, as Paul says, the mercy of God. I know myself. And I know the wickedness of my heart. Far greater than you do. And I know that I don't deserve any of this that I'm talking about today. And yet, it's been given to me. How can we not just give ourselves back? And he does go on here a little bit and... Uh, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, and I, I want to stress something here. Uh, this, about two things here about God's will, right? Because this verse is test and approve God's will. It's really talking about discernment, right? How do we know God's will? Can't do God's will if you don't know God's will kind of thing. Um, now, I think we all have asked the question, what's God's will for my life, Right? What's my job going to be? Who am I going to marry? Right? Those sort of things. Uh, all of us have had this. And all of us have, have uh, found the frustration, right, of opening up the Bible and not getting the answers to your questions. Has anybody ever had this? Okay. Oftentimes it's because we're asking the wrong questions, but we'll deal with that another time. Uh, but I, I, I go through this, right? So, God, what are you, what are you speaking? Right? I want to know. And you flip through and you can't find the, the. And it's like, if you just tell me what to do, I will do it. Right? You ever had that? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Now, it's interesting. I think it reveals something about us that uh, whether or not we will admit it, and if you're you know, a nice, card-carrying, evangelical Christian, you will never say this, but it's true, uh, that we believe in a law-based ethic. We want commands to follow. It's clear. It's easier, right? 
And and true, the Bible has plenty of those, right? I mean, don't commit adultery. That's very clear, right? As a married man, I know very clearly there is a line of adultery, and I will not go near that line. It's not that. But most of our what we're trying to do as believers in our lives, it's not that clear. Um, But the Bible doesn't do that. It rejects a law-based ethic. Now, it doesn't mean there's not laws, as I said. And even in the Old Testament, I know some of you are thinking, ah, but what about the Old Testament? That's very law-based. But even then, take the Ten Commandments. Before God gives the Ten Commandments, what does he say? I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt. Even then, the commandments, do this and don't do that, are based on the character of God and what he has done on behalf of his people. And so, uh, so that's my first point I want to make about God's will is it, it, he, he doesn't make it that simple all the time. Here's your five-step plan. Go. He doesn't do that. Uh, and connected to that, uh, a lot of us will say something like, if I just knew God's will, I would give all of myself to him. Right? If you called me to become a missionary, then I will throw myself 100%. Yes, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. If you call me to be a light in a dark business world, then I will do, and I will throw myself completely in him. God, just tell me what you do, and I'll give you everything. Do you notice that this passage works in the opposite direction? He says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And I will renew your mind, and then you will know you will be able to discern the will of God. Do you see? He, we think backwards. God, tell me your will and I'll do it. Right? And, he, and, and I'll give myself to you completely. I'm all yours, God. We say this at World Mandate. Some of you will say this. Right? I promise you. Because every year it happens. Just tell me what to do, God. And I'll give myself to you. God's saying, well, why don't you give yourself to me first? And then I will renew your mind. And then you will know what to do. Do you guys catch what I'm saying, right? We get it completely backwards. The only appropriate response to the mercy, to the grace of God, is giving ourselves wholly to him where our entire lives are an act of worship to him. That's what he wants. See, I think if we're honest, a lot of times we we care more about uh, God's plans for us than we do about God himself. Right? God's, God wants you. And, and let me flip that over. God cares more about you than he does his plans for you. You see? He wants you. The plans will happen. He'll make that work. He, he's figured this out. He's done a, done a good job. Okay? He's got a good track record. He wants you. And so even uh, our call to, to move to Southeast Asia was... Uh, over a long period of time of learning this lesson, that really I just wanted to know God, seek God. And as you seek God, over time, you'll learn what he wants. It's not, it's not a five-step plan. It just isn't. It's this process of giving yourself daily to him, him renewing you from the inside out. So in light of God's mercy, right, that rescued us, adopted us we give ourselves completely to him we reject this world this age the things that it values uh, and we allow god to transform who we are that's really the kind of change we're talking about right that god has already made us his children and now he's going to make us live like his children we become who we are 
That's why I like that phrase so much. Become who you are. You are, by faith, a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And if you give yourself to him and allow him, cooperate with him, he will show you what it means to live like a son or daughter of the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. So I started with this phrase, become who you are, and that's the call. I think that actually is the call of this verse. doesn't mean there's not some rules and things or uh, these things that we need to follow. It's, it's about acknowledging who God has made us and allowing him to turn us into that on a daily basis. Um, and so we're, I guess we're going to do communion here. And I, I think this is appropriate. You can come up. Um, this is appropriate because uh, communion really is, this is not, what we're about to do is not a separate act from everything else we've already done. And actually, I think this is, uh, I didn't plan it like this, of course. Um, but uh, this is appropriate because this is a, a great moment for us to remember the saving work of God. Right? That as we, as we uh, take the elements here, that we remember Christ's death and his resurrection, which is the ultimate act of the mercy of God. That changes who we are. And so this is a great opportunity for us to do what we said earlier. Of just giving ourselves wholly to him. Committing ourselves again. Lord, I'm all yours.